Thank you, Ken, for leading us today. We are blessed to have willing people who will stand in at the last minute, if need be, and serve the congregation, and we appreciate Ken doing that this morning. And we welcome all of you to our worship this morning. We've been talking about heaven, and we'll continue doing so this Sunday and next. And I hope that this is helpful to you and uh, helps us to center our thoughts on heaven. One of the most sobering of all texts in the Bible, in my mind, is Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, where Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why is that text so sobering? Well, because it says that on the day of judgment, some who are expecting to go to heaven won't. And that's the greatest of all tragedies. It says that many who are expecting to go to heaven will not. It says that just because you do something religious, even do something and say it's in the name of Jesus, you can still miss heaven because what you're doing may not be what God has said for you to do. Maybe something of your own choosing, maybe something somebody else suggested to you, but it may not be what God had in mind. So that raises the all-important question, doesn't it? Who goes to heaven and the even more important question will you be there and how can you know for certain that you will be there that you will not be one of those disappointed people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7 asking those questions forces us to go a little bit deeper in our thinking what is it exactly that gets us to heaven? What is it that makes the difference between heaven and not being able to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's a huge question, but it has a very simple answer. And the answer is simply Jesus. Jesus is what makes the difference. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to enter heaven. We don't get to heaven because we're good enough, because none of us are. We don't get to heaven because we're religious enough, whatever that might look like. We know that times in, at times in the history of the people of Israel, they became even more religious. But as they were becoming more and more religious, they were also more sinful. And God rejected their worship. So it isn't about being more and more religious. We don't enter heaven because we do some great deed of faith that somehow is so spectacular, so wonderful, so sacrificial that it wipes out everything else that we may or may not have done. We get to heaven if we get there at all only because of Jesus. That's what Jesus himself said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now remember in our first lesson on heaven, we said heaven is what? It is where God is. It is being with God. That's what heaven is, being with God through all eternity. And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
You heard Luke read earlier from John chapter 3, that great verse in chapter 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the all-important verse right after that that we sometimes overlook, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why he sent the Son, not to condemn us, but to save us. And then the following verse, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God's goal is not to condemn us, it is to save us. But salvation depends on one thing, it depends on our response to Jesus. He is the watershed. He is the determining factor in whether or not we spend eternity in heaven. That's what Jesus said. And the apostles said the same thing. When they were preaching in uh, Jerusalem in the early days of the church, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. There is no other, he said. They'd been warned to stop preaching in this name, and Peter said, we can't stop preaching in this name. This is the only name that leads to salvation. This is what people have to hear. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul said, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There is one mediator, he said, between God and man the man Christ Jesus. It's not as though there are a collection or an array of mediators out there and you can just kind of pick and choose the one that you desire. There is but one, there is that one, Jesus. And it, because he is the one who gave himself as a ransom for all. But why only Jesus? And you know as well as I do that there are a lot of folks in the world who think that the very idea of that, that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven is very narrow-minded. Some would even say bigoted. I'll never forget the anger on the face of a, of a student one night, a young Asian woman who was Buddhist. And she came to me during a break, and she said, why do Christians say that Jesus is the only way? And she was angry about it. She was hurt about it. She thought it was the most narrow-minded, bigoted thing she had ever heard. We had not been talking about that, by the way. That was just something that was on her mind and she wanted to talk to me about. And the reason that people think that that's a bigoted statement is because they don't understand the whole message. And we have to be sure that we give people the whole message so that they can understand. The reason why salvation is only through Jesus is because of sin. And sin is what will keep us out of heaven. The prophet Isaiah said it. He said that God's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. His ear is not dull, that it cannot hear, or that he does not hear. But he said, your sins have made a separation between your, you and your God so that he does not hear. He's not listening to you because of your sins. They've separated you from God. Now, if heaven is being where God is, what does sin do? It keeps us from being where God is. It separates us from God. And because we are separated from God, we have to have something to solve that problem because we all have it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 said that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You heard the reading from Revelation 7. The glory of God. Where is God's glory most fully manifested? It's in heaven. And if we fall short of the glory of God because of our sins, then our sin keeps us out of heaven. 
And we have to have some solution to sin. How can anyone then ever get to heaven since we're all sinners? And the answer is by being washed in the blood of Jesus to take away our sins. That's why it's only through Jesus. Because he's the only one whose blood can take away our sins. There is no one else in the history of the world. There's no one else who will come in the future who can make that sacrifice for us. There is nobody. There's nobody who can do what Jesus did. You see, you get to heaven only through Jesus because he's the only one who died for you. He's the only one who shed his blood for your sins. When Jesus met with his disciples the night before he went to the cross, Matthew 26, verse 28, and they were sharing that last supper together and he was instituting the Lord's Supper that we just observed. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That's what this is about, he said. It's the blood of the covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Nobody else ever was able to do that. Paul said in Romans 3, beginning in verse 23, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, and that simply means a sin offering, an atonement of, a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. God put him forward by his blood to be received by faith. We're all sinners, Paul says, and so God did what only God could do. He put forward his son, Christ Jesus, who offered himself as a sin offering through his blood so that we could be forgiven. Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And Peter concurred because in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, he said, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Silver and gold couldn't have done it, Peter says. But the blood of Jesus does. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see the connection? It has to only be through Christ because we all have the same problem of sin. And sin can only be removed by the precious blood of Christ. Now I want you to think with me about that scene that you heard read just a few moments ago. Revelation 7, verses 1 to 17. John sees those 12,000 redeemed from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then after that, he sees a multitude. He says it was so great that nobody could number it. It was just a, an innumerable group of people. And he said they were from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there's an angel standing by, as there frequently is in the book of Revelation. And he looks at John and he says, who are these? And John says, you know. I kind of take that to mean I hope you know because I don't. And he says, sir, you know. 
And he said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who are they? Who is that vast multitude of redeemed people? It's the ones who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. It's the ones who have availed themselves of the salvation that Jesus and Jesus alone offers. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. Where's the throne of God? It's in heaven. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Remember Revelation 21 that we talked about last week? What does God do? He says God himself will be with them. And there won't be any mourning or crying or pain or death anymore. For the former things have passed away. God is making all things new. For the ones who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Why? Because they're really good people. Because they never made any mistakes. Because they were devoutly religious? No. Because they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They washed their robes in the blood of Jesus. So the big question for each of us is this. Have I, have you, been washed in the blood of Jesus to have your sins forgiven? That brings us to another question. When does that happen? How does that happen? How would I know if that's happened or not? Let's let Scripture answer it. We've already seen that no one gets to heaven without believing in Jesus. Jesus himself said that in John 3. Believing who he is. Believing that he is God's son. Believing that he is the Savior of the world. Believing in what he has done. Believing that the sacrifice that he has paid is sufficient to take away our sins and get us into heaven. We ought to be absolutely convicted of that, confident of that. But just believing doesn't open the doors of heaven. A lot of folks think it does, but it doesn't. The Bible never says that. Just believing doesn't open the doors of heaven. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. There were some people who, who thought that they, because they were Christians now, could continue in sin in order that grace may abound. And Paul says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who have repented of sin, how can we who have turned away from sin and decided to follow Jesus continue to live in sin? That's unthinkable, he says. And then he continues. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul says that moment when we are baptized into Jesus and we die to sin and we die with Christ and we are baptized into his death and we are raised with him, that's when, that's when we start our journey toward heaven. What is it that gets us into heaven? It's Jesus, and it's being washed in his blood. How do we get washed in the blood? Paul just told us by being baptized into his death. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, he put it another way. He said, we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
we put on Christ. And when you've put on Christ, when you're wearing Christ, you're on your way to heaven. When you were baptized into Christ, you were reenacting the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it became effective in your life. That's, that's how it happens. Paul described it another way in Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. He said, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now, right before this, he'd been talking about how awful sin was. He's been talking about how messed up we all were. And then Jesus came, and he says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot do that, no matter how much we do. He said, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now put that all together. He said he saved us. How? By his mercy. He saved us how? By the washing of regeneration. That's what he was talking about in Romans 6. He saved us how? By renewal in the Holy Spirit. When God's Spirit comes to live in us and makes us alive. He saves us how? Because his Spirit has been poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we become heirs in hope of what? Eternal life. Heirs in hope of heaven. You see, when a penitent believer is baptized, that person receives the washing of regeneration, a new life, the new birth that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3, and receives renewal in the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes to live within us. That God's Spirit becomes a sort of down payment on heaven. It becomes a, a foretaste of what God has for, waiting for us when we do meet him in eternity. And so then you live the rest of your life in the hope of eternal life. You live the rest of your life in the hope of heaven. You don't turn back. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You keep your eyes fixed on that hope. And eventually that hope is realized. In 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22, Peter compared baptism to the waters of the flood. And he said, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not a bath. It's not that kind of bath. It's not that kind of bath you took before you, well, I hope you took before you came. It's not about that, he says. He said, it is an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The act of baptism itself does not save us. It's that appeal to God for a good conscience. You want a good conscience? Don't we all? You want assurance that you're right with God? You want the certainty that your sins have been forgiven? You want the certainty that you're headed to heaven? Peter says that's what's happening when you're, when you're baptized into Jesus. When you're baptized into Jesus, it's an appeal to God for that clear conscience to give you what he has promised to those who believe and obey him. It's not the water that does it. It's the power of the resurrection of Jesus, he says, that does it. Who is now in heaven at God's right hand, waiting to come and bring us all to be there with him. 
So let's summarize. How do you get to heaven? Who goes to heaven? Who goes to heaven? It's not that hard. Believers in Jesus. People who are convicted and convinced that he is who he said he was and that he has done what scripture says he has done to, that he came to do in order to save us. That's who goes to heaven. People who repent of their sins go to heaven because sin is what will keep us out of heaven. That doesn't mean that when you repent, you're going to be perfect. It means that you're just not going to give in to sin anymore. You're not just going to let it have its way in your life. You're going to live to the very best of your ability with the help of God's spirit within you to live the life to which he's called you. Who goes to heaven? People who are baptized into Jesus' death and who are raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection, whose sins are washed away by his blood, people who have received new life through his spirit, who goes to heaven, people who don't look back, people who continue following him until he comes again to take us to be forever with him, people who live in the hope of eternal life. Let's go back to Matthew 7. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Don't be one of those people, one of those surprise people on Judgment Day. Don't be one of those people who come before the throne of God thinking you're going to spend eternity with God and find out that you're not. Don't be one of those people who think that because you think, well, I've lived a good life. Or I'll be okay because I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Or I've tried to be a good neighbor. Or I've done some religious stuff in my life. Don't come into his presence thinking that. Come into his presence knowing that heaven is yours because of Jesus. Make sure you have been washed in the blood. Make sure that heaven is your eternal home. You can do that today. If you want to do it today, come and tell us while we stand and sing or come and tell us at a later time. Anytime will be a good time and we'll help you start your journey to heaven. Let's stand now and sing. Have you been to Jesus for the